everyone, that was not Wonk. I am Bo Ranstell, and this is Season 2 of Hero Hero Go Show. I want to begin by thanking all of the listeners for turning out for Season 1 and spreading the word on our little corner of the internet, and what a spooky corner it is going to be. Season 2 is going to bring you 10 more films designed to curl your toes and make you leave that kitchen light on, you know, just in case. And boy, howdy are we offering up some grade-A nightmare fuel to open up the new season. If you remember, way back in the first episode of Season 1, we talked about three movies that propelled Japanese horror wave of the early 2000s. One of those is Audition, which we discussed on that very episode with this very guest, you know, Symmetry. The second, Juan the Grudge, we thoroughly examined later that season, and now here we are at number three, Hideo Nakata's 1998 film Ringu. Based on a novel by Koji Suzuki, the movie spawned several sequels in its home country, a remake in the United States along with a sequel to that remake, and another due very soon. There's just simply no way to overstate the importance of Ringu on the world of horror at that time, and to ensure that I don't even try, is the man who kicked off this whole show with me, the host of the podcast Under the Stairs, Opera Omnia, Chronicle, my partner on Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which is now focused on the HBO series Westworld, and a damn fine baker in his own right, Duncan McLeish, welcome to the show and tell me what I got wrong. <laughs> you got everything right, I'm so glad to be back. Um... Can I just first say, right at the very beginning here, that I thought season one of Hero Hero Ghost Show was fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because I was on two episodes. I genuinely thought it was a fantastically formatted show looking at movies that sometimes don't get the appreciation or the attention that they require and deserve. And the second thing I'd like to say is I'm overjoyed to be back kicking off the second one with a movie that, um, let's just say there are very few movies in my adult life that have actually terrified me, but Ringu actually terrified me the first time I saw it, so I'm very much looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, it's legitimately a very scary movie, and uh, and we'll get into that. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the thing about Ringu uh, that... <laughs> It's it's one of those cases where, unlike Juan the Grudge, where it kind of depends which one of those you saw first. You mm-hmm. know, like, they're, they're not exactly the same movie, but they're awfully damn close. Yeah. And, I mean, structurally at everything. Like, Shimu, uh, Shimizu, uh, who, you know, uh, directed Juan the Grudge and then d- did the American remake as well for mm-hmm. our listeners not in the know. And shame on you. We talked about this <laughs> extensively. Um but yeah, so like him adapting his own work into, you know, a Western film just meant it, it was slightly Western and Westernized in the sense that you had Bill Pullman in it. And that's kind of <laughs> it. You know, the rest of the movie is really just Jew on the Grudge. Yeah, it makes it more linear. It, it strips out a lot of the, the jump, jumping and backwards and forwards with the time. Um, yeah. And makes it a more linear story. So it really, it does kind of, it Westernizes it. As in he simplifies it, uh, which I don't know what that says about Western audiences. But he simplifies the overall narrative. But out with that, the the scare beats are pretty much beat for beat from the original. Yeah, and I mean he borrows a little bit from uh, Juan too uh, for the the Western version and and so forth. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's very it, it's not one to one, but it, it's close. But when you get to Ringu and the Ring. There are certainly scenes that are 
one-to-one comparisons. But when you get into the wackadoo ending of Ringu, <laughs> then, like, Gore Verbinski, uh, his film, The American, The Ring, with Naomi Watts, which is a, a, a really fine remake, mm-hmm. but it totally dis- dispenses with the, like, weird supernatural stuff that is at work in Ringu. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't... I don't know that that's the wrong impulse, you know, uh, yeah. like, like this movie, it, when you watch Ringu, uh, if you've seen the ring before and you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what this is. You know, Samurai comes out of a well and, and people get killed. Um, in this film, first of all, it's Sadako, not, uh, Samara or Samara. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, the movie spends a lot more time discussing uh, sort of the backstory of like what, what created Sadako uh, as well as um, what was going on with her mother. And and we'll get to that as we go through the plot, but it's, you know, sort of the origin of the story is very different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though it kind of ends up in the same place, the journey there uh, involves far, uh, far fewer water demons uh, (laughs) than say the original Japanese. (laughs) And yeah. And I think it's kind of the worst for it uh in some ways and in other ways i'm like you know as a as a western film viewer uh you know that's those are the movies i saw growing up um it it makes sense to kind of strip away some of the the weirder cultural stuff and yeah. uh and when we get into sort of the thematic things they're they're like <laughs> the the idea of eruption you know which kind of uh, winds its way through this film, uh, thanks to the creepy videotape, um, is something that doesn't really play as well in the West. Yeah, I think I think as well the Grudge remake benefited from the fact that it was still set in Japan, so you can still bring that mythology of you know when some someone dies or traumatic death, the imprint on a location or a house or whatever. So you can bring forth that. Japanese folklore and you know uh, supernatural culture into that movie. The Ring, as an as a remake, is shot in America, set in America, you know about Americans. So it, it's very difficult to then start bringing in this, uh, you know, any sort of mythology or spirituality from a different culture which isn't America. Um, and as a result of that, I, I feel they had to make those changes um, because they're kind of forced in that way. And if you had no time or tolerance to sit down and watch a Japanese horror movie or a movie that had subtitles or anything like that, and and you watch The Ring, you're going to get a good horror movie. Um I think the reason Ringu plays so well, I've always said it is Japanese horror plays really well with me in that it comes from an angle that I am not used to growing up in the country that I've grown up in Um, and watching the movies that are created over here compared to over there. There is something off kilter, something slightly to the, the, the edge of normality, which gets under my skin and it can be, it can be used for comedic effect in times. Uh, How so, um, as a movie that, for for the most part, is basically like a, a Japanese Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, yeah, it and, is. It's, <laughs> and it's and it's there are scenes in that that are absolutely 
terrifying like absolutely like just to me though if i show them at someone else like all right it's it's a bit weird it's a bit creepy but it gets under my skin because it just comes from an angle that i'm not used to and it unsettles me um and, and ringu certainly lives in that world um out with the bits that are there for obvious scares the the tension in the movie where i don't think maybe even Japanese audiences get like perturbed by certain sections gets under my skin deeply. And even watching it back yesterday for this first one, which will be the first time I've seen the movie in over a decade. Um, wow. That's almost I, criminal, but go ahead. Yeah. It, it still gets, it still gets me. Uh, J-Hor is like a really weird thing with me in that. Uh, I feel like I'm in therapy here with you, Bo. Um, and here, Tell here, me about your show. mother, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother wasn't in the G horror, um, but I, I think I, what I tended to do with with Japanese horror movies after seeing the big titles, you know, the ones that you, you've you've already covered a few, and there are still a few to go um, in your series moving forward. But after I experienced them, I found myself moving back. Very similar to what I did with Western horror, if I'm if I'm being honest. When you know I grew up watching kind of 80s slasher movies and then into the the 90s psychological thrillers, but then very quickly back you know backtracked to well, what were the movies that influenced the slashers? All oh, right, there's this whole wave of Jalo movies. So I got into them, and then what influenced the Jalo movies? Well, there was this whole wave of Hammer horror. So back into Hammer horror, what influenced you know and these sort of things, and started moving back that way. The same can be said for Japanese horror. After experiencing the big titles, I found myself going back to things like Kuro Neko, um or Hausu or you know titles which are you know, are, are the building blocks, the foundations of modern Japanese horror. And Ringu, unfortunately, suffers from the, the, the thing that, you know, I saw it terrified me. Took me a couple of years to come back and watch it. Terrified me again. Decided I wasn't going to watch it for a while. Um, and then very graciously accepted this offer here. Which makes, I see if you watch this every couple of years, I don't know if it'd have the same effect. I, I think it would start to, I think I'd start to pick it apart too much. And I quite like the fact that, that coming back to it, there are there were bits that I definitely remembered, and there were there were whole sections which unfortunately the remake had had kind of taken over. I was like, oh, where's the bit that Brian Cox comes in? There is no Brian Cox in this movie, <laughs> right? No, no, none. Um, <laughs> although we get all right, right let, let's just jump into it. Let's start talking about what what actually happens in this movie. So, uh, for for new listeners to the show, and God bless you for sticking with us. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to we're going to make our way through the plot. We're going to make sure uh, that we we cover the relevant details. Um, and at that point, we will then move to interpretation. Uh, I promise it is not as dry as it sounds because uh, this is not this is not a lecture, although God willing, you learn a thing or two. Um, but uh let's let's start with the opening image and this is another distinction between sort of western symbolism and and eastern symbolism where in the west duncan here's a pop quiz pop quiz hotshot if you see a character in a western film particularly in act two of the film generally speaking later in act two and they enter into a pool of water of some kind and then emerge from it to, there is a suggested shorthand of symbolism. Do you know what that thing is? I do not, Bo. All right. Typically speaking, if you see a character 
go into water and emerge from water. It is a symbolic rebirth. It is a character yeah, cleansing. Yes, purification. Okay. Right. 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 I've got you. Okay, so that's Western films. Eastern films, totally opposite. Um, water is generally associated with impurity. Mm. Uh, it is also uh, associated at times with taint. Uh, it is a really interesting sort of juxtaposition. So when you <laughs> when you first start watching Ringu, as a Western viewer, the first thing you see is this kind of dimly lit ocean view. Mm-hmm. And for Western eyes, it's like, ah, purity, because that's what water <laughs> is all about. And then it turns out, no, 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 no. Water in this film is dreadful. It, yeah. Like, if you see water, you're in for some bad shit. Yeah. Um, so we we start with that, and then we move to a scene that I would place in the in the upper tier category of opening scenes of horror films, along with things like the beginning of Scream and things like yeah. that. It yeah, is, it's, it's, it's surprisingly it's surprisingly similar in a lot of respects, even though like, the subject matter and the scares are different. But in terms of open it, this is how you open a movie. Like this is how you open a horror movie, ladies and gentlemen. And this is how you open it well. Um, and everyone has tried to do that screen opening since and not really done it well. Um, I, you notice how I keep saying the word well, Bo? I'm going to use that a lot in this. Sure, sure. And it's for, for symbolism, well. Yes. Um, well, well, Bo, we're here again. Uh, but yeah, this this opening scene is. I, I remember watching it like the like, right. Bo, I'm going to need to tell a story. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is Can neither the time nor the place, Duncan. I know. I need to. Th- I, need, I need. I need to get this off my chest. All I need right. To get off my chest. I get used to work in couch. a. Vid- <laughs> I never left. Um, I used to work in a video store. Um, and. I, right out of kind of college, I started working at this video store. It's where I've, I really developed my full love and appreciation for cinema. Um, it's also where I started writing scripts, which were sold off, and I became Quentin Tarantino. That may be a lie. But <laughs> uh, uh, well, maybe, maybe. Uh, but the, the, what happened was I worked at this video store, and I, I moved shops quite a lot, and I eventually became a manager of this video store um, in the city of Stirling in Scotland. Um and when I worked there, the University of Stirling had uh, a media course, like a film appreciation and all the rest, film history. And the students would frequent the shop. And we're talking, this is circa 2001, 2002. And um, The Ring was out. In fact, the, the second Ring movie had already came out on videotape by this point. And I remember we only had one copy of both movies on VHS. Uh, we didn't have any DVDs of them at that time. And um, people used to come in, like regularly students would come in and they would talk about this movie, The Ring, um, or Ringu. And they would talk about how terrifying it was, like absolutely terrifying this movie was. And, you know, had I seen it and you've got to appreciate, you know, the, the way the movie's structured. And they would, they would like analyse the movie to the nth degree, just in conversation, you know, when you get to the third act, this camera angle, this shot, you know. Like, and a lot of it went over my head and I wasn't really listening. And, I, I used to consume a lot of movies at that time because of uh, where I worked, obviously, and insomnia as well, and the fact I got the movies for nothing. Um, and I remember hearing about the prequel coming out, uh, Ring Zero, and um, I hired all three movies in one night uh, to, to sit and watch at home. So about midnight, I sat down and I watched Ring Zero, and I was thoroughly unimpressed because Ring sure. Zero is the, it's the prequel. It's the kind of 
romantic Japanese tale of, you know, of, of this girl who, well, we'll get into, I don't want to spoil it because we are going to get into the after effects, but it did nothing for me at all. And I thought, maybe I'm just, at that point, I thought, maybe I'm just desensitised. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe this was supposed to be a scary movie and didn't have the effect on me. So we're about two in the morning now. I put on Ringu. And within the first 10 minutes of this movie, my palms were sweaty. Um, I was very uneasy in my uh, in my chair in my room. Um, and I felt very uncomfortable watching this movie. And it, it was this kind of level of discomfort that kind of stuck with me right through until the climactic uh, scene that we'll talk about at the end. At which time, and it's the only time I've ever done this with any movie ever, when that scene happened, I switched the movie off, hit stop, straight away. <laughs> switched my bedroom light on, um, put on some happy music, uh, and and chilled out for a good half an hour before I came back to watch the rest of this movie. I've never done that with any movie, ever. I've never, never, never done that at all. Um, and it was this opening scene with, with the with the two teenagers, the two the, the the two girls talking. This opening scene was what instantly put me on edge because I was a big fan of Scream, and Scream's kind of cheesy when you think about it. It's a great opening scene, but it's kind of a cheesy scene. Um, this should, in theory, be. I imagine Japanese people watching this movie reacted the same way as they did to Scream on this one. This one took on like a... The pacing, the design, and the way it's executed is is nightmare fuel. Like, yeah. absolute nightmare fuel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely horrifying. I mean, uh, so, as you said, there are two teenagers who are alone in... Uh, Tomoko, I believe it's her place that they're in, and uh, it's Tomoko and Masumi are the are the names of the two girls, mm-hmm. and um, one of the girls is telling a story. And here's another thing I love in movies: I love ghost stories in horror movies, like yeah. like the fog, the opening of the fog, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this is this great opening of her uh, uh, of the girl uh, Masumi telling the story, an urban legend of this videotape that uh, was recorded in Izu. Like, she tells the whole story of the tape, which is some some kids had gone to Izu, which is uh, outside of uh, Tokyo, where most of this takes place. Mm-hmm. And um, so in Izu, uh, or actually, oh, never mind, we'll get into that. Um, so the kids are flipping around one night, and then on a channel where there should be no programming this video appears and they and and the uh video is recorded and so uh if you watch this video it it has a bunch of creepy imagery and then once the video is over the phone rings and there won't be a voice but in seven days you're gonna die so it is one of my favorite uh, sort of horror conceits mm-hmm. that's ever been used in a movie. It's such a great, like it, it, it's it's sim- it's really simple and incredibly effective. Of just if you happen yes. to watch this tape accidentally or not, the phone's gonna ring, and if you pick that thing up in seven days, you're done for. And uh, anyway, so I think that's wonderful and. Through the course of the conversation between Masabe and Tomo- uh, Tomoko, Tomoko 
uh, it turns out had gone away with three of her friends, uh, including a couple of guys, um, to Izu. And, uh, she, Tomoko tells Masami, like, yeah, we watched this tape and it was a week ago tonight. Yeah. And there's this heavy moment and then, Masami starts laughing and is like, oh, you got me. And Tomoko's like, yeah, I sure did. And they kind of go about their business until the phone rings. Mm-hmm. And then there's this great scene of tension where they're going downstairs to where the phone is. And then it's uh, Masami who picks up the phone. And then immediately the scene deflates. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, it's for you. And it's uh, it's Tomoko's mother, uh, noticeably absent uh and we will certainly discuss absentee parentism in this movie mm-hmm. um but she so the the after the phone thing it feels like okay everything's kind of back to normal uh Masami takes off for a second uh uh to what was she doing changing clothes or something making food who knows and but <laughs> leaves the room doesn't matter and so now Tomoko is alone downstairs and sees the television turn on unexpectedly, uh, mm-hmm. as often happens in horror films. And then you don't really see what happens to her, but you know something comes for her because you get her frozen uh, image and then the negative of that image and then she's gone. And that's kind of the opening of the film, and it, it's it's tough to really convey how masterfully Nakato in, in this sequence goes from rising the tension, deflating it, raising the tension, deflating it, and then nails the, the landing. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is, like, this is... What, what I love about this is this is, like, his... Uh, essentially his, his second proper movie. Yeah, yeah. And he's he nails it. <laughs> you know, he nails he nails what it takes like seasoned directors, veterans of the genre, um, you know, decades to do. He he nails in his second movie. It's perfectly it's perfectly paced as an opener as well. And like you see the the use of the the, the tension and then the, the deflation of that tension through through simple things as even like the, the conveyance of an expression on someone's face between the two characters, the two girls are actually fantastic in this in that you believe them wholly when, when they, they start to begin to be unsettled and terrified. Um, but as soon as one of them smiles, you instantly feel at ease. It's like a, a wash of relief kind of flows over you. Um, I think it's, I think it's great. And it, what what I prefer about this over the the American remake is, whilst I think the American remake sets it up perfectly as well, um, it just doesn't have that same amount of tension, um, and they give away a bit too much as well. I think um, you know they, they don't quite they don't quite nail it the the, the way this one. Does. Less is more um, sometimes in horror movies, and uh, the cat through through budget alone um does you know makes that scene more tense uh but by just giving you a bit less yeah and that's sort of the story of the two films anyway there there is a starkness to ringu yeah uh and not that um it's poorly directed or anything i mean the camera does move it's not just a static camera but uh and, and nakata is kind of a genius with some of these shot selections it's it's really amazing 
but yeah, there is a starkness. There's not a lot of music in Ringu. Yeah. Uh, very, very little. And a lot of times the music stings aren't jump scares. There are almost no jump scares in this film. If mm. I, I don't think there are any, as a matter of fact. I don't think there's, yeah, I don't think there is any either. But so the music stings aren't, aren't to punctuate, you know, the cat coming out of the closet like Juan. It's like the revelation of here's the mirror we saw in the video. You know, stuff like that. It's, it's more of a creeping dread than it is a, a, a shock. Um, so, yeah, so we killed two girls right away, uh, or, or, or Tomoko right away. And then we cut to, uh, Reiko, who yes. is, uh, absolutely wonderful in, in, uh, in this film. Uh, Nanako Matsushima, mm-hmm. uh, is. Well done. You're nailing these pronunciations now. I'm loving it. Yeah, uh, well, I, I can also do Reiko Asakawa, uh, which oh. is her full name in the, uh, in the film. So, uh, Reiko is a reporter, and uh, she is a, a lovely young lady with a, a child of her own um, that she is raising. Uh, his name is uh, Yoshio, mm-hmm. and she is, uh, as I said, a single parent. She is a professional woman. Um, again, these are, are, are themes that we're going to see throughout this film. Uh, the idea of modern uh, modernity. Uh, he, he tries to pronounce, um, intruding on traditional life, you know, uh, the role of the woman in Japanese culture is not typically a professional one. That's correct. And, uh, and Reiko is very much a professional. Um, she is good at her job by all accounts. Um, but as a result, she doesn't have a lot of time to spend with her child. She is divorced. Uh, you know, we'll get to the father later and he doesn't seem like a real winner either. Um, <laughs> and there are times when during the course of this movie where you're like, Rako, for God's sakes, get a sitter because you're gone a lot. But at any rate, so she is, uh, her niece is Tomoka, one of the girls, uh, or the girl who died uh, at the beginning of the film. And she is already a bit interested uh, because of a, a piece she was doing about this urban legend of this videotape. Mm-hmm. And and it's probably kind of a puff story and, and so forth. Uh, but then Tomoko, her niece, dies, and she's at the funeral. And... Uh, uh, after the funeral is over, uh, she overhears a group of girls that had gone to Tomoko's school um, saying that, uh, you know, that it was this was part of the videotape curse. And so she presses them on it and, and tries to find out if there were any other people that had gone on this trip that Tomoko went on who are no longer with us. And it turns out that there was a uh, a couple that had gone to make out um, and end up uh, being found dead. There was no evidence of drugs or anything. And it, the one of my favorite bits in this movie is when she begins investigating, you know, the, this whole videotape thing, and we get to the crime scene photos. And, mm-hmm. and videos of the car that has been found of, of two of the other uh, folks who went on this trip to Izu and watched the video. Uh, when they come spilling out of this car, the look of horror on this girl's face 
is one of my favorite things in in not just Asian horror films, just horror movies. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love the idea of somebody being scared to death, and this is a really great example of that. Yeah. Um. So, uh, we also all right. Here's a couple of notes on Reiko while while we're talking mm-hmm. about her and her reporting skills. So she hears um about this car accident thing and pulls a uh, a newspaper, you know, one of the kind of galley newspapers off the rack at her job mm-hmm. and starts flipping through it. And then is asking like one of the uh, uh, researchers, I suppose, or one of her assistants, an intern, whatever, not a reporter. This guy's clearly not moving up the ladder. But anyway, she 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 asks him, like, hey, can you tell me where these kids went to school? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll tell you tonight. And he eventually calls her at the funeral to let her know, like, oh, yeah, the girl who died in the car actually went to the same school as Tomoko, uh, which is how we initially make that connection. But um, when Reiko leaves, that big newspaper that she was flipping through just leaves it on the table. And I was like, come on, Reiko. This, this is a culture built around tidiness. How about you clean up after yourself a little bit? <laughs> um, so I think that's uh, a little rude and uh, gave, left me with a bad impression of our main character. Um, <laughs> I was with her until she left that paper on our arms. Right, right. It's like, I'm with you as far as neglecting your child. That's fine. But leaving this big-ass galley laying on a table for no good reason. Come on. Come on. Um but yeah, so she starts to put two and two together and and ends up uh, finding uh, going into Tomoko's uh, bedroom and she finds a receipt for some uh, uh, some photographs that were taken. And uh, Reiko, again, being kind of a, a good reporter here and a good investigator, tracks down the photographs, uh, picks those up and, and goes through the de- the developed pictures and finds that at a certain point in the chronology of the photographs, um, all the uh, all the, the kids who went on the on the trip, all four of them to Izu have uh, smudgy ghost faces. Which mm-hmm. means that you're you're dead meat in in any kind of Asian horror film. If your face is smudged in a photograph, you are either cursed, possessed, or about to die. Mm-hmm. That's the big three. You're you're done for. <laughs> so <laughs> the big three. Yeah. So, um, Reiko then makes the the horrible decision because of the photograph. She she sees that. Um, they they have stayed at this cabin in Izu. She's able to kind of track it down that way, and ends up going to the cabin. Um, h- hangs out in the room for a minute. Nothing's going on. She's watching TV. She's trying to, you know, figure out where did this video come from? Where is it now? And goes to the front desk where a uh, a friendly and helpful gentleman. Uh, says, yeah, you know, the kids came and stayed. And there's a, a shelf of videotapes, much like you might see in... Uh, I, I don't know if this translates to a uh, a Scottish analog, but here in the States, like, if you go to, like, lodges and stuff like that, a lot of times the front desk will have a shelf of movies you can check out. All right. You know, and that's what we're seeing here, is that he's got this wall of videotapes, VHS tapes, and presumably so that if you're staying in this, you know, one of the cabins, you can come to the front desk, grab a couple of movies and watch them with your friends and whatnot. So 
all the uh, the videotapes are labeled uh, except for one that is in a plain white case. And of course, Reiko is like that one. Give me, <laughs> give me the unmarked uh, VHS tape. And the the uh, guy working the desk pulls it out, and it's it's not labeled. It has no markings on the case or on the tape itself. And he's just like, look, I don't know what this is, but if you want it, fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can have this. So she takes it back to the cabin. Um, because you want to watch this in the creepiest possible setting. <laughs> I, I can only assume that is her motivation. Because <laughs> she could have just taken it home and watched it in the, you know, the sunny living room or whatever. But nope, nope, go to the cabin and get about four and a half inches from the screen, lean towards it and hit play. And at first she doesn't think it's anything because it's just, you know, snow on the screen. And then the imagery begins. And... Once again, this is one of those things that has become part of the horror lexicon. Uh, the ring video uh, is incredibly creepy. Yeah. Uh, to this day, like it, it, just the imagery used is absolutely incredible. Uh, if you if you've never seen it, it's on YouTube. You can look at what the video itself is. Uh, you know, don't answer the phone once you watch it. Of course. <laughs> you know, spoilers. Bad things happen. No, just let just let me and Bo know exactly when you're gonna watch it, and then we're gonna prank phone call you about forty five seconds after you start watching it. Right. Just right. let us know. Yeah, that, I'll tell you what. That is a service that Hero Hero Go Show will provide. <laughs> if you watch, if you watch the Ring video, uh, then yes, just drop us your phone number, also your credit card number, because uh, you know. Dollar ninety nine yeah. a minute. Um, so, or uh, if you want unsettled on the phone, you can phone Bo at his premium line, and Bo will just make spooky ghost noises like Ooh, right. I'll just ah, 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 do the death <laughs> rattle stuff. Yeah, the, the the calls may cost you in excess of twenty dollars every ten seconds, but they're worth so. it. Oh, every penny. Every penny. Um, so. The video is, you know, as as we've said, incredibly creepy. And what's the what? In your opinion, is there one shot in that video that creeps you out more than the others? And if so, what is it? Uh, good question. Um, I think it is all the people crawling on the ground in what seems to be reverse motion. Only they're yeah. moving forward. Yeah, it, that is incredibly disturbing. Yeah. I, I would probably agree with that. I, I, it's so unnatural looking, yet at the same time made to look like it's natural that it creeps me out to no end. Yeah. Um, it's... I, I, another reason I, I kind of dig the once again, not that I'm, like we say, we're not bashing the the American remake at all, no. um, or English language remake. Sorry, I should, I should stop. Keep saying you know American remake. Um, the the video and and that one is is equally unsettling. I mean, it's, a, it's an unsettling video, but it's, it's deliberately, it's things that are put in that purely to unsettle, whereas the Japanese ones, there are certain shots in that video which are just rudimentary, um, but because you're just already creeped out and it's surrounded by creepy images, um, they become creepy as well by proxy. Um, but in the American one, it is just all like, oh, here's a fingernail snapping back and here's, you know, this ladder which doesn't make sense and, you know all the all these sort of things um, that I think once again maybe even down to budgetary reasons the, the the Japanese one is 
more unsettling because of how it's executed. I, I think, you know, that they're aiming to unsettle, but not aiming to have every frame be unsettling, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It Well, and there's a reason for all the shots. Yes. You know, there, nothing in there is just, this is only to scare you. They're, you know, symbolic or not, they're, they're, I, I can give you a reason for every shot in, in that video. And, and, but it, yeah, it, it, it is, it's kind of lean. It, there's not, you know, uh, Ringu does benefit from, as you said, the less is more approach that it's not, it's not sparse. Like you're not, it, it, it's not like it's doling out the scares once every 35 minutes or something. Because mm-hmm. they come way faster than that, but it it takes its time to build, and it 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 allows even the the moments with the video, and there's one in particular later uh, regarding that video, where it's like we're just gonna hammer you with this imagery for a second, mm-hmm. and on the back end of it, you can start you know to to tug it apart but for right now and because the shots are so quick and and the editing is what it is in that video it it just it hits you and before you know it it's over and then you're like that was one of the most horrifying things i've ever seen <laughs> I, and it didn't give me time to stop it you know um yeah, and then uh, of course Reiko, uh, the the phone rings. Reiko picks it up, and there's no voice, but the the timer is ticking at ten p or ten after seven p.m. on a Monday. the The timer starts, and like all the stuff we've talked about is the first twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, it covers incredible ground. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the movie, because the 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 rest of the movie is basically. The, the build up to the well is is the full investigation of what is this videotape where did the videotape come from and who is the vid- who's in the videotape and can I get to the bottom of this uh, which might seem like at that point the pace slows down but it doesn't actually it, it, it trundles off at, the pacing in this movie is actually incredible um, considering it's about an hour and a half in length um, they cram a whole hell of a lot of story into this without you know sort of a whole lot of investigative story into this. Um, but it's done in a really, really well paced, well structured, and well written way. Um, and it does it deviates it deviates from the book. I don't know if you've ever read the book. The book's excellent, actually. Um, but it does deviate from the book significantly in 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 the way that the they set up the investigation. The book labours into points because you can in a novel um, a bit more than they do in the movie. Um, but it certainly still hits all the same beats. And that's where the that to me that's where the movie becomes more interesting than just your standard horror movie or your standard ghost movie or haunting movie or anything like that is the actual investigation because the investigation itself is infinitely fascinating and, and the way that Riku um um I pronounced that right didn't I Riku yeah 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 and the, the way that she uh, the way that she begins that investigation or really starts to throw herself into that investigation at the you know the neglect of her child um who desperately needs a parental figure in this movie um you know I, I, she she throws herself into such a way where you're along for the ride and it's a, it's an infinitely fascinating ride you know what you want to as the viewer get to the bottom of the mystery of this uh, of this videotape just as much as she does and you don't have the curse hanging over you um which i think is brilliant or don't we? 
Um, well, this, this is true, Bo. This is true. I don't know how comfortable I'm going to feel at the end of the show, having watched the movie again, or how comfortable the listeners should feel after listening to this show. Yes. Uh, if you if you do get a phone call after listening to this podcast, again, don't answer it. Um, <laughs> so from, from here, now that we're on a timer, mm-hmm. uh, Reiko goes to her husband, Ryuji, and Ryuji is a professor of something. Um, they don't really get into it. I, I know he's got a board with equations on it. Um, it's... <sighs> It's to do, the thing is though it's it's supposed to do his his degree to the best of my knowledge is supposed to be something to do with uh, spiritualism or the occult. Yes, that's that's why she it just that's why she kind of goes to him, but it's never really laboured as to what that actually means. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a little vague uh, for sure, um, but I do like the fact that as soon as Reiko gets the phone call in the cabin, there's no wishy-washy like, well, am I really cursed? She's like, oh, we gotta get we've got to get things to handle now. Like, yeah. I got I got seven days. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna die, and it's probably gonna be horrible. So uh, she tells her uh, her ex what's happened, and. He's like, all right, well, give me a copy of the tape. Let me look at it. And she's like, I can't really do that because then you're going to die. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll be fine. Just, you know, give me a copy. And what what happens is uh, one of my favorite things that ever happens in horror films when presented with supernatural occurrences, two people sit down and study something. Yeah, and it, it's sort of the uh, the scene in The Exorcist where um, they're in the in the booth listening to the recording and, and uh, playing it playing it backwards and stuff. It's it's essentially that scene only with the the ring video mm-hmm. where they detect that there is some voice um, uh, like under the message, and it says as almost all satanic backwards tapes do. <laughs> Frolic in brine, goblins be thine. Which be is terrifying. Battle chestnut. <laughs> Which is terrifying because I don't know what it means. <laughs> it's like, what, what does, well, I know what the word goblin means. I know what brine means. I know what frolic means. And I know what they means. But they shouldn't all be used in a phrase or sentence together. Yeah. Ever. Right. It's... And you're like, what, what, what is going on here? And they don't know, like Reiko and Ryuji have no idea what it means. Um, but Ryuji is off to, uh, investigate. He, he thinks he has a lead. So he's like, Hey, why don't you go hang out with Yoichi? Uh, I called him Yoshio earlier. Sorry. Yoichi. Why don't you go hang on, hang out with Yoichi since, you know, you're going to be dead and all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, not to bring up an uncomfortable subject, but, you know, you got a curse. Um, yeah, now is the time to give him memories that he can actually remember you by when he's an adult. Right. You're, you really only have so many opportunities left to, to put your stamp on this kid. So yeah, you, don't, you, don't want, you don't want him to be sitting as an adult with kids himself and his kids saying, tell us that story about our grandmother again. I'm going, well, she there was a chair. Um, she right. didn't sit in much <laughs> she was out doing stuff and then she wasn't there anymore we found her body it was all contorted horribly yeah I, re- I remember when she used to uh call me and tell me that uh all my food was in the microwave and that meant a lot <laughs> that it touched me 
because um, she wanted me to be so, fed. Like some sort of weird Pavlov's dog. Every time he hears a microwave ding, he gets a tear in his eye. Right. He remembers <laughs> his mother. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the tear, ro- one lonely tear rolls down his cheek. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So, uh, there, uh, in, in fairness to Reiko, she is at least taking him to her father's place. Yeah. To dump him so he's not completely neglected, just neglected by her. Uh, and obviously Ryuji, who, like, he, Ryuji at one point is going to, uh, Reiko's apartment and passes Yoichi in the street and neither of them speak. It, it's one of those moments, like, again, thematically, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but the idea of, like, isolation and parenting issues, uh, just keep recurring through this movie, so. You can feel good. Like, if you're watching Ringu and you're afraid that you're just watching a dumb horror movie, fear not. There's real stuff going on here. Um, <laughs> we'll get to it. Aside from being scary as shit. So, uh, Ryuji comes back and says, Hey, I somehow, uh, because of my expertise, I was able to detect a specific dialect on this backwards tape. And it comes from uh, Izu, Izu Oshima Island. So we've got to head out there. And Reiko's like, okay, we'll do that tomorrow. She goes to bed. She wakes up and looks over at uh, the mat, the bedroll where Yoichi ought to be, and instead uh, has a crazy drug trip um, <laughs> involving seeing like the image of uh, the, the woman on the video and all that. Mm-hmm. And then she just sees the empty bedroll she and again in one of those shots that's just like man nakata the fact that this is like your first real feature well there was one feature before but holy crap she swings open uh the door uh the sliding door um to the living room and there is yoichi sitting in front of the television as the video ends and she loses it as you would imagine yeah yeah, <laughs> this is what happens when you're a bad parent. This is what happens when your child knows how to work. My child doesn't know how to work anything in the house, and that's how they will grow up, not knowing how to work technology. <laughs> Good for you. Raise them as Amish. That's. <laughs> I think that's a smart move. You know, like Rob you don't have Springer! to be. <laughs> right. Well, you leave that part out. You don't want them getting any ideas. No, nothing. Um, no ideas. Nothing. No yeah. books. No technology. I can I, I can hear Winter now asking you, like, hey, how come you guys watch TV, but I can't watch TV? And you're like, well, that's because we're Amish. Or you're Amish, honey. We're not. <laughs> it's time for you to go upstairs, maybe turn some butter. <laughs> can I play video games? No. no. Your Amish faith does not allow that. Thank you. That that at some point, like uh, you know, children's services probably gets involved uh, in a situation <laughs> like that. Um, another thing I find really funny about the the whole uh, videotape thing is, so you watch the videotape, and it would kind of be enough if just if you watched the video that started the timer. Yeah. I like the fact that it's like Sadako calling to confirm your appointment with Eternity. <laughs> you know, where like the phone rings and you pick it up. It's like, uh, hi, this is Sadako. Um, I'm supposed to kill you in seven days from right now. I just want to pencil you in, make sure that's okay. 
Uh, <laughs> like, like, like the, the, the Navy SEALs, you make sure that you set your watch to her time. And we're syncing watches now, right? That's cool. Excellent. Yep. <laughs> right. I just like the courtesy phone call, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sadako, <laughs> like, you're doomed. Like you said before, the Japanese are very respectful race. This is what they do. They make sure that you're, you're okay. Right. <laughs> just making sure ahead of time that I know it's late in the night, but I will be here in seven days. Um, so just get your affairs in order. By the way, you might start seeing some weird things, have some creepy dreams, and don't get your photo taken um, because I can't guarantee it'll turn out fine. Are you okay with that? Excellent. See yeah. you in seven days. Bye. Yeah, that's just a waste of Polaroids. Um, yeah. That Yeah, and that's something that we had kind of glossed over, but in, in an effort to convince Ryuji earlier in the film... Uh, when Reiko is telling him, like, hey, I'm cursed. And because of his background in the occult, he, he doesn't push back too much. But uh, she's like, just take a picture of me. And, and so he snaps a Polaroid. And, of course, she's got smudgy ghost face. Um, <laughs> SGF, when you have... <laughs> when you have SGF uh, and that not-so-fresh feeling. Um, but, yeah, so she has smudgy ghost face. <laughs> Are your colleagues concerned about your well-being? Do you have smudgy ghost face? <laughs> Do you only have seven days left to live because you watched you watched a cursed videotape? Try ghost at all. Ghost at all. <laughs> are you are you plagued by uh by the ghost of a child bent on revenge? Oh man, you know what would be better if we could get if we could get Wilford Brimley to do that advertisement? That'd be amazing. <laughs> right. You got ghosts. Try a ghost at all. Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> it's the right thing to do for all the right reasons. <laughs> now someone cure my diabetes. Right. These ghosts come at you with all their diabetes. It's contagious. Diabetes, Diabetes ghosts. Diabetes ghosts are... <laughs> you laugh, but in America, it's a real problem. I, I, I know, I know. I, 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 yeah, I, I will not say anything else about it. I, All I, the sugary beverages, people die and they come back as diabetes ghosts. <laughs> diabetes ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> type A, type B, and type C, you don't want to know what type Z is like. Oh my goodness, they just, they, they, all they do is haunt your refrigerator. <laughs> you gonna... Open it. <laughs> right. You, you gonna eat all that? Boo. Uh, that's how they scare you. Like, all of a sudden, your leftovers are gone. <laughs> I, I remember I had, like, some leftover chicken in the fridge. I could totally make a chicken sandwich just now. Oh, my God! The chicken's gone! No! Basically, it would just be a nation full of Slimers. That's what the diabetes ghost would look like. It would just be this blob that's constantly consuming food. That's that's how Ringu is like Ghostbusters. That's exactly how it's like. <laughs> this was all planned. This is how the, the show was ultimately going to be led anyway. Now that we've closed that case. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, speaking of cases, so now um, Reiko has not only uh, does she need to get to the bottom of this videotape mystery to save her own life, but... Now she has to save her child, and what what more horrifying prospect could there be than I I could be killed, and then I would have no way to save my child, who will be dying a couple of days later. Yeah. So uh, she and Ryuji 
um, start to get into the mystery of uh, of Oshima, uh, which is an island uh, off the coast, and this is where they stumble across the uh, the story of Shizuko Yamamura. And Shizuko was a psychic, and we start to get some of the backstory on the video because she had predicted the eruption of a volcano, mm-hmm. and which ended up happening and killing a bunch of people, which explains in the video the people crawling on the ground and also, um, you know, like Shizuko herself in the video. And yeah, she, she can be seen being filmed in a mirror. Right, and and it's pointed out like, oh, there, the angle of this shot should show you the camera. Yeah, but it doesn't. So perhaps this videotape was not created by human hands, Duncan. Oh, it is. It is a ghostly video. Um, so we start to get the backstory of of Shizuko, who had uh been. Uh, a psychic and had been not exploited, but but certainly put on display by a doctor who was uh, investigating um, and trying to prove ESP phenomenon. Mm-hmm. There were rumors of an affair uh, between this doctor and uh, Shizuko, and uh, that that's never proven. But there were then rumors that they had a daughter. And nobody knows what happened to the doctor or the daughter. And uh, so now Ryuji and Reiko um, are are starting to put together like, oh, maybe there is something about this daughter that uh, that we are now getting rumors of. And the place where they're staying, it's owned by like an uncle of Shizuko. And between the the innkeeper and his wife in in this uh uh kind of inn at Oshima um they start to uncover like oh uh it it turns out that uh Shizuko um was always kind of a weird person and would sit on the beach and talk to the sea mm-hmm. and a lot of people thought that maybe she was maybe not just uh you know touched uh in the head but legitimately dangerous mm-hmm. um and then there's a later implication this gets into the weirdness of ringu versus the ring because uh, so we 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 start to understand that yes uh at at some point um I'm trying to think of the the doctor's name now. Oh, where do I have it in my notes? At any rate, the the doctor who was uh, studying Shizuko, who could maybe be the father of this child, killed the child. Like all the yeah. images of the well and stuff, it, it's him pushing her in the well because of uh, a psychic vision Ryuji has. Because it turns out Ryuji not only studies the occult, guess what? He's got a ESP. So mm-hmm. he does a Johnny Smith from the Dead Zone on. <laughs> The uncle who runs the inn and sees this whole um, uh, like press conference thing happen, mm-hmm. where uh, you know back in the forties, the uh, like the the press corps comes to watch this demonstration of Shizuko uh, doing ESP. Basically, she's writing down uh, on uh, a parchment. Um, you know, it's again, the Ghostbusters connection. It's kind of that opening Ghostbuster scene of like, Hey, I'm holding up a star star. What do you think it is? It's that kind of thing. 
It's a, it's basically a remake of Ghostbusters. Basic, yes, basically Ringu that's, that's is. That's what you've basically you've convinced me that Ringu is just a remake of Ghostbusters. I, I think it's. I think if anything, for people listening to this show, I think if that's the one thing you take away from this show, it's one hundred percent accurate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is. <Yeah>. That's the <laughs> kind of the kind of entertainment you can expect from this show. <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> And so during the course of this uh, press conference, um, a couple, uh, actually, the the guy who owns the inn, the uncle of Shizuko, stands up and is like, hey, Shizuko's a fraud. This is all a magic trick. And then a bunch of reporters are like, yeah, what that guy said. This is a fraud. (laughs) And Shizuko is like, no, no. And then off in the corner, you see uh, the daughter, Sadako, who is as you always see her, just kind of long hair. You never see her face, really. And then a guy, uh, one of the guys in the press corps, just, like, freezes up and falls over dead. Mm-hmm. And what we learned, Duncan, is that Sadako has the power to kill people just by wishing it. Yeah, yeah, she has, she has like, this kind of leveled up version uh, to use a bit of gamer speak a leveled up version of her mother's abilities um um not necessarily for for she she's not predicting when volcanoes are going to erupt to save people no she can she can kill you by thinking it right you know it's yeah she can kill kill with her mind she is almost yeah. a scanner yeah she oh my god scanners are so good yeah she and like I, that's the movie I really want to see. I don't need uh, Sadako versus uh, Kyoko. I need Sadako <laughs> versus Scanners. Um, okay, an aging Michael Ironside. Yeah, <laughs> take on a girl. Ramak, Ramak, take on a, <laughs> a girl with long hair. Japanese girl with long hair. Uh-huh. They're just like staring at each other. That scene with her eye and his his face with the veins coming up. That's deleting. Make that happen. And at the end, Sadako turns around and it's Michael Ironside in her body. Boom. Oh dear God. Michael Ironside in a long black wig. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he's basically his character from Highlander 2. <laughs> Let's we are getting way off topic here. <laughs> uh, as soon as Highlander 2 makes an appearance on this show, we have taken a, a hard left turn. You uh, need to pull it back. You need to pull it back, <laughs> Yeah. We got we gotta uh yank the reins. Um so yeah, so it it turns out that you know, long story short, Sadako had uh crazy scanner powers and the doctor uh brains her as she's standing by the well and she just tumbles into it and he covers it up. And the reason that, you know, you putting two and two together, when you see the images of Sadako and her fingers with no nails, you realize that she wasn't killed when she got brained and thrown down the well. Um, but actually survived a little bit and, and was trying to claw her way out and clawed her, her fingernails off and all that stuff, and uh, which is terrifying, you know. Yeah, in um, itself is terrifying. We have all had those fears of being buried alive. Now imagine if you were not only you weren't just buried alive, you were in in an area which does have space and does have room, and if you can just make the top, maybe you can get out. You know, maybe you could do something, but you can't even climb it, and you're frantic tries to climb will tear off your fingernails as yeah uh, as 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 true horror <laughs> yeah yeah and uh 
so with all this unpacked now, Reiko and Ryuji think we know what's going on now. Sadako was was tossed down this well. Her spirit is now cursing everyone because of this wrongful death that occurred. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they which in, in, in itself is fair because you as the audience have made the same assumption. So yeah, and throughout the movie, that is where everything has been pointing is is towards this idea of a vengeful spirit and stuff. If you, good lord, if you ever watched two Japanese horror movies in your whole life, you probably saw this coming. So, yeah, and also, also as we're saying, from a Western point of view, in Western cinema, that's what happens in ghost stories. In ghost stories, you need to find out what the unfinished business is of the, you know, the, the person that's dead, or remove their, you know, uncover the mystery, and put their body to rest. Get their body, their bones, or whatever, and put them to rest, or, you know, serve up the injustice by finding the person. That's what happens in Western cinema. That's how you get your happy ending in Western cinema. Um, right. So it's fair to make that, that assumption, that leap, and that move in that direction in this movie. Completely fair. Absolutely. Although one thing that uh, occurs in the car on the way uh, back to Izu, they're they're heading back to the cabin because that's where they believe the well is. Mm-hmm. So um, along the way, Ryuji is speculating. You know, they're they're talking about Sadako and 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 the whole story of what happened to her, and that's where Ryuji postulates that Sadako is not actually the the product of. Uh, Shizuki and the doctor, mm-hmm. but is instead um, the product of Shizuko and some sort of water god or demon. Yeah, this is the coming back to how she was speaking to the sea and stuff like that. You know, right. This kind of weird relationship that she had, potentially. Yeah. There's something you're not going to get in the American version. Potential <laughs> water deities. Uh, so... <laughs> but but i mean that's the case like the implication is very clearly she may have had sex with some sort of water spirit and sadako is the result yeah uh which is kind of great and also Mm -hmm. maybe too much um (laughs) like this movie dances on that because uh, like i I, it first happens when ryuji is like guess what secret esp and it was like really you've got esp (laughs) And uh, he's like, yep, and guess what? I can hold on to other people, and now you've got ESP, too. It's like, what? <laughs> and then you're in the car, and he's like, probably water demon rape. Or not rape, but water demon sex. And you're like, yeah. really, Ryuji? Are you let, just let screwing with me? Well, let me put this way. His ability to have ESP, hold someone else and have ESP, still, still, scientifically, I'm using that word scientifically, more plausible than the regressive hypnosis used in um, Exorcist to the Heretic. Oh, 100%. 100% more science involved in, in, again, the Johnny Smith, I hold on to you so I see what you did. Yeah. But if somebody, and actually the first time Reiko doesn't even touch him, she just gets in the bubble of ESP or whatever. Yeah. And is like, oh, now I'm seeing visions and stuff. So mm-hmm. anyway, whatever. <laughs> it's fine, Ringu. I'm with you. So you're you're doing good, kid. You're you're really putting things together. Um so they they haul ass back to Izu and uh find the well and this is the last day. Like we're we're down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And so we find the well. 
and I also admire the fact that Reiko and Ryuji make no bones about like, hey, we're just going to start ripping walls out of this place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we, we ain't got time to get permits. We're not talking to the owners. We're just ripping shit up. Bill me. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can bill me. Um, so they they find the well, they open up the cap, and then Ryuji goes down into the well and with a couple of buckets, and Reiko is hauling them up, and they're doing that, and they're looking for a body, and they're not finding a body. And then Reiko just collapses, and Ryuji uh, is like, hey, we still got to get some water out of this well. You need to keep moving. <laughs> and she's like, I can't. I'm done. And he, he gives her good old-fashioned Hollywood smack of like, hey, knock it off. And <laughs> and then he's like, what about Yoichi? And she's like, right, Yoichi, I got a kid. All right, all right, fine, I'll go down. <laughs> Poor Yoichi in this, it's like, like yeah, he's he looms over the film large, but he's in it about ten minutes more than I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so Reiko's in the well and she's, you know, uh filling the buckets with water so they can drain it. And quite frankly at this point, if it were me, I would have abandoned the you know, the sump pump move here because yeah. you've got the water level enough. You it's time to get down in the in the grit. You gotta you gotta start finding some bodies. Um and Reiko pretty much takes that to heart and uh, you know, has this moment where she's like, where are you? Let me find you. Tell me where you are. And then, uh, again, a horrifying image pulls her hand out of the water and it's just covered in long black hair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Creepy. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, as if Nakata, uh, uh, Nakata is saying, like, you know, we've really been playing this kind of classy. <laughs> Who's up for some eye goo? <laughs> <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> right. Me too, it turns out. Because then uh, Reiko finds the body of Sadako, uh, hauls it up out of the water, and at first it's kind of a gross face. And then the face splits apart, and then it's just a skeleton, and then some sort of, like, green Masters of the Universe ooze kind of leaks out, and it is pretty repulsive. But not to Reiko, who cradles this thing like she might breastfeed this corpse. I feel like that almost happened. Yes, you, you've just blown my mind. I, haven't even, I hadn't even thought of that. But she does cradle it in a very maternal way. She does, yeah, which is the first sign of of anything maternal from this character. <laughs> well, and and that's the secret that Reiko all along just needed a dead child. Like those are the <laughs> easiest to keep up with. It turns <laughs> out easiest to keep up with. <laughs> She's like every now and every now and again moves the position of the bones. You know, yeah, so, so it looks like the child's moved. Yeah, you don't even have to call and check in. You don't have to leave nothing in the microwave. That that dead that dead kid's gonna be just where you left it. Uh except in Sadako's case where, yeah, the body may remain, but you know, that spirit's going all over hell and creation. Um that's the real problem with Sadako. Um So it uh you know, after she finds the body and and gives it a mother hug 
uh, it the time clicks past the seven day window, and she's like, "Hey, I'm saved. This is great. We have now, you know, solved the curse. Now they're like, I'm saved. Ryuji's saved. Yoichi." Uh, who is, I think, maybe a cousin? No, my son, my son. Yoichi, my son, <laughs> is probably safe. Uh, but, you know, eh, fingers crossed. So, <laughs> everybody kind of heads their own ways. Like, Yuichi, uh, Ryuji, rather, uh, goes back home to his, um, like, intern teacher assistant girlfriend, which is a little creepy. Just a bet. Yeah, just a bet. Ryuji strikes me as a real piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, you can see why they're not together. Yeah, and I mean, he hugs her at, at the end, like once the nightmare is over, they as they believe and and stuff. But man, he he is making no moves to like we should put our family back together. It's just like when this is all over, I'm gonna go back to my younger model. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that you know maybe. You know, maybe when you and when we first meet the guy as well, I think it's the the, the longer that you spend with him as a character, you realize that he is is very much the the poster boy academic. He's only really interested in in things that interest him. If you know what I mean, there's no there's no um, give and take. I imagine that the relationship, any relationship with him, would be all about him and nothing else. Um, and if it started moving remotely into what you want, he'd, he'd just bend you and move on to the next. So um, I, I, I feel that I feel that that character is portrayed very well in that way. And you're right. Generally, once again, from a Western eye, at the end of this movie, there would be some sort of move to to rekindle the relationship or try and bring or try and you know rectify the issues with your family, because this is what happens when a mother is estranged from her daughter. You know, I mean, maybe the mother should not be estranged from her son in this movie. Maybe at the end we've seen the error of the ways of absentee parentism. Maybe what we should do is try and bring the family back together. But yeah. no, he's like, no, he's like, I got a hot piece of ass back in my loft. I'm going to go and get me some. Yep. And uh, also he's got an essay to finish yes. uh, that he, he kicked a week because he was like, I might die. I'm not doing that essay if I'm going to die. <laughs> Uh, which I get. I totally get that. Uh, a, a, a pile of, of of papers to mark, which he's put on hold. And all these students wait to find out if they've passed his class or not. Yeah, let's let's see how this whole vengeful ghost thing works out, and then I'll worry about grading papers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, Ryuji heads home, and uh, is doing his thing, working on uh, this essay. And his television comes on, and we see the well, uh, only this time, what we've only been teased before. Mm -hmm. uh, the figure of Sadako emerges from the well and starts walking toward the camera in that kind of jerky, no-theater way. Oh, so terrifying. I know, it's... It's oh man, this movie. Not the most terrifying, but not the most terrifying. But I like remember that story I told you at the start about when I first watched this movie and I had to switch the light on um, and switch the movie off. I did not know what the the ending of this movie was. I didn't know what the twist was. No one had told me. I hadn't heard about it. 
So when when Sadako continues walking in that very uncomfortable, very staticky sort of jerky motion towards, and that scene feels like it plays out for about an hour, and it, you know it totally doesn't. She moves fairly quick. She gets up to the telly, and you instinctively think, well, you know, maybe she'll move up to the TV screen or something. And that's, you know, when she reaches the end of the TV screen, that's when the guy will die, maybe, because he's scared to death. And no, 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 no. Not in this movie. Not in this movie. She moves up to the TV and then crawls out it. Yeah. And I switched my TV off. <laughs> like, I actually switched stop and switched my light on. It, it, it caught me completely by surprise and this is the genius once again of the the japanese one is there is no budget here um so they have a woman crawl at a tv which you know (laughs) they actually have a woman crawl out a tv screen and the american remake it's all cgi it's a cgi girl who right and and like the the sadaka or uh samara Samara. yeah herself is all staticky looking and stuff like that like it's heavily digital but yeah and and i mean that like once again if if you've never seen this version of it um the american version yeah that's a surprise yes a shock and all the rest but this is genuine terror because not only does she crawl at the TV, she continues to crawl across the ground and you see her finger minus the fingernails. And it's, yes. it, it's, it's horrible. Like, I, I came back down to sit and watch the rest of this movie half an hour after switching it off. And the first thing I see is this long-haired girl crawling across this bamboo mat floor with missing fingernails. And it skeeved me out even more than, you know, it, it was just like instantly, oh, that's right. This is why I switched this movie off. Right. <laughs> I, let's, let's I, stopped at, I, I stopped Goodfellas at the scene right before somebody gets brained with a bat for three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was the, what, you know what I mean? It was like, it was like, well, that's the worst bit of the movie. Oh no. <laughs> let's continue on. Um, yeah, it's it's truly one of the greatest scenes in horror cinema. It's up there. I would say it's yeah. in the top five for me. I think it's just on a completely different level than anything else I'd ever seen before. Um, are, are, are really since I don't think there are many scenes in horror since this movie have come out that I would hold in the pantheon of greatest, you know, greatest single shots in in horror cinema. Um, I think The Ring might be one of the last ones in terms of, obviously, you've got things like Jaws and, you know, The Exorcist, you know, the the classic movies that are going to make, you know, Here's Johnny and all the rest are going to make your top five. I think The Ring might be one of the last ones to to make my top five, you know, chronologically speaking. Um, I can't think of many movies past this point that have had, like, a single shot of horror where I'm like that. Not only is it ingenious... Um, highly innovative, innovative, but at the same time terrifying, and it holds up. Yeah, uh, it really does. Like, yeah. it, it, it's certainly not done with the budget of the Verbinski film, but I, I kind of think it's more effective. It's practical. I, that's yeah. why it's it, a practical effect, and practical effects don't age. Um, yeah, I heard recently someone say uh, practical effects look fake but feel real. Yeah. And CGI looks real but feels fake. Yeah, I think that's spot on. 
I think that's spot on. Although this, as a practical effect, like I, I like afterwards after watching this movie and it finishing, my head trying to wrap around how they seamlessly shot this. Yeah, it's real good. It's real it's, good. It's, it's ingenious. It's, it's on a completely different level um, than, than anything else. Uh, it's, I, I don't know how he did it, and I don't. I really kind of like a magic trick that leaves you dumbfounded. Kind of don't want to know at the same time. I'm, I'm quite happy to live in a world where. That you know that sort of movie magic happened on that level, and it still it still works. And this is really, I mean, it, it is the turning point of the movie. Not only because you realize, oh, the curse is not over, but it also changes the rules. Yeah, and in that way, it's transgressive because what the the movie has told you so far is, you watch this videotape, you get this phone call. If you don't you know, remove the curse, however you may do that, in seven days, like, something shows up and scares you to death. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the act of Sadako coming out of the screen is like, okay, it's no longer safe. Like, the video was always creepy, but now the video is not just uh, the, like, the transferal of the curse, the video is actually the curse itself. It is, yeah. you know, like that is the thing that comes alive. And yeah, it's, it's nightmarish. I mean, I, again, if you've never seen it, I envy you yeah. uh, because it is, it, it's really striking. I mean, even if it doesn't scare you and I don't know how that's possible, but even if it doesn't scare you, it, it's still one of those moments in films where you're like, everything I thought I understood about what this movie was is kind of wrong. Yeah. Um, so Ryuji, uh, because, you know, he's a good ex-husband has managed to dial Reiko. So she gets to hear him die. Yeah. And, and, but before the last thing that he, he kind of says before he just starts screaming is got it. Like he understands suddenly what they missed. But he doesn't have the the foresight to communicate that to Reiko because he's too busy being scared to death by Sadako, who has come out of his television. Fair play to Ryuji on that. Yeah, uh, right at the end. We'll, we'll let him off with that. Right. Probably not thinking uh, of anything but uh, the sudden spread of warmth in his pants. Um <laughs> So Reiko is now left knowing, like she rushes over and she's like, Hey, my ex-husband lives here. And and they're like, Oh yeah, they already got the body. And she's like body. Um, (laughs) so he's dead. And now she's like, okay, well that means, uh, Yoichi is still on the ticker Mm -hmm. because it, it somehow skipped her. And that's the question is why did it skip her and not Ryuji? You know, because you can't just continually save her from the well again and again. That seems impractical. So she she <laughs> fun- fun- this idea and just all reset and they have to go back to there again, start tearing up the place, go back down there, remove the water again. She can't be asked this time because she couldn't be asked before. Um you know, just to get to that level again. Uh, I go for a second time. Yay! <laughs> right, like if you if the curse is lifted from you, the last act is to throw Sadako's body back down the well, <laughs> uh, setting it up for the next the next guy. Uh, yeah, it, it, it seems 
uh, difficult to manage. So that is not, it turns out, what the curse is. Uh, Reiko finally puts it together that the reason that the curse skipped her is because she made a copy of the videotape and showed it to someone else. Yeah. And now she understands her son is still in mortal danger of this curse, but now she has a way to get him off the hook. And the way she does so is... <laughs> so cruel. So, so cruel. So cruel. Uh, she calls <laughs> She calls her father... And, it, it, like, you see her driving on the way back to her father's place, uh, presumably on the way to, to uh, grab Yoichi. And uh, she has a VCR and the curse tape. And she calls up her dad and is like, hey, can I ask you a favor? <laughs> and And that's kind of the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Ugh. It's really good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really that's, is. That's uh, really good. I know what you're saying, Bo. I know the ring. I saw both versions of the movie, and I think I know a little something about all this cursed tape stuff. First of all, how about you show a little humility? Second, you are totally wrong. What about the TV movie? Or the sequel no one liked? Buckle in, go show heroes. Let's talk Ringu's odd journey to the screen and beyond. The novel Ring was first published in 1991. Without spending too much time synopsizing the plot, let's hit some of the big differences between the novel and the movie we all know. First of all, the main characters have been altered for purposes of the film. Reiko Asakawa, the heroine of the 1998 movie, is actually a guy named Kazuyuki, who is married with a child, unlike the divorced Reiko. Also, he's a newspaper proofreader at the outset of the novel, which is only notable because it was a story on the paranormal that got him demoted from official reporter status. That also involved his buddy Ryuji, who is not an ex-husband in the novel, but a buddy who might be a touch more rapey than the Ryuji we know from the film. But enough about the characters. The real fun starts when we talk plot differences. For example, the Sadako of the novel doesn't have the power to kill with her mind. Instead, she's got some ESP and a hint of mind control, but certainly has nowhere near the awesome power of the film Sadako, who comes to personify what in the book is basically a virus. See, Sadako wasn't some horrifying monster in the novel, but merely an odd girl with the ability to project her thoughts on television screens, and quite the looker given the descriptions in the book. And this is really the biggest change. In the film, Sadako is a force of evil long before she is tossed down the well. Heck, she may not even be fully human if you follow the Shizuko did it with a water deity thing. In the source material though, she's just a girl who visits her father in a sanatorium as he's convalescing from tuberculosis. A doctor at the facility, Nago Jotaro, finally confesses his obsession with Sadako to Asakawa and reveals that, 30 years prior, he raped Sadako in the woods near the sanatorium. During the assault, it's revealed that the seductive Sadako is intersexed. It's described in the book as complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, in which Sadako possesses testes instead of ovaries, 
but she does not respond to the testosterone in her body. With revelation that the object of his obsession is not, strictly speaking, female, Jitaro goes nuts, pardon the pun, and he tosses Sadako down a well and then throws stones on top of her. I mean, if a job's worth doing, I suppose. Weirder still, the curse that results from Sadako's death is not purely Sadako's rage, but rather a mutation of the smallpox virus she was unwittingly infected with when Jotaro attacked her and he'd been exposed to smallpox. So, Sadako's rage, psychic energy, and smallpox all form a stew from which the ring virus is formed. The videotape isn't just Sadako's message in the book, it's the virus itself. In the series of books, it actually evolves into different means of infection, ultimately becoming a viral cancer of sorts. So yes, the movie varies from the source material. Or the movie you've seen does. There's an earlier version of the story that aired on Japanese television in August of 1995, three years prior to the release of Ringu. It is, by all accounts, the most structurally faithful to the novel, and you can see for yourself under the DVD release title Ring Kanzenban, or Ring the Complete Edition. A similar film, which borrows from both the film Ringu and the novel, is The Ring Virus, which was a co-production of Japan and South Korea. While it retains the female protagonist of Ringu, the viral nature of the curse is more similar to the novel in this version, including Sadako's hermaphroditism and the sexual assault preceding her death. It's an interesting side note and not a bad movie, but it feels oddly superfluous in a world which contains both Kanzenban and Ringu. But it is a South Korean version of The Ring, and that alone makes it kind of interesting. Alright, so that brings us up to Ringu. If you're a clever viewer, and I know you are, you might have noticed The Ring slash Rasen Productions credit. Rasen was released in Japan at the same time as Ringu. The same day. The sequel. The same day. The production company decided that the novel and the later television movie had been so successful that releasing two Ring movies at the same time would be twice as profitable, right? Not so much. Ringu was a critical and financial success, while Rasen, which was based on Koji Suzuki's follow-up novel to Ring entitled Spiral, was quickly forgotten and did pretty poorly at the box office on top. Like the television movie, Rasen is helmed by Joji Ida, and both Rasen and Ringu share production teams and actors, but Rasen was not destined for Ringu's success. Perhaps it's the rather confusing plot or the fact that Sadako pulls a Tomie and gets reborn in a pretty weird way. Or maybe it was that it was connected more closely with the literary source than Ringu. Regardless, Rasen is now seen as more of a curiosity than a legitimate heir to the Ring story. That came in 1999, only a year later, with Hideo Nakata back in the director's chair. Ignoring all that Rasen nonsense, Ring 2 plays as a direct sequel to Ringu, with much of the original cast returning. Like Ringu, Ring 2 was incredibly successful, enough to warn a third entry, this one called Ringu Zero Basude, or Birthday. It was based on the story Lemon Drop from Kochi Suzuki's birthday anthology, which was also adapted into a manga. Following that so far? Okay. So, Zero is a prequel and has been frequently compared pretty unflatteringly to Carrie. Still, it did follow the thread established by Ringu and Ringu 2, thus completing that trilogy. But what about our old pal Rasen? That got sequels too. There was Sadako 3D, which yes, is a real movie. Sadako 3D is a sequel to the old malign pal Rasen and is based again on the work of Koji Suzuki, 
this time his novel S. This and the sequel, Sadako 3D 2, form the backbone of the alternate series that sits somewhat uncomfortably alongside Ringu and Ringu 2 and Ringu Zero. So if you want to be a real contrarian, you tell people that you prefer the real Ringu series, the one that ends with a big old well of blood because that's something that happens in Sadako 3D 2. And now, more horrifying parenting mistakes. So, Duncan, I stopped us there because you can't... You can't talk about the end of this movie without talking about it thematically. Mm-hmm. So I just, I want to pause for one second and say, at a lean 95 minutes, this movie, if it were nothing else, already has some of the most striking imagery in Asian horror. On on a pure entertainment scare level, this movie already works. Yeah. Uh, but as I alluded to earlier, you can feel good about, <laughs> about your love of Ringu, not just because it's uh, it's it's a great scare factory, and it is that, but also because thematically, it kind of covers some of the same ground that we covered way back when we talked about Audition. Uh, it is the idea of, you know, the, the female professional, uh, the, the, you know, culturally standard caregiver of the family being something other than the standard caregiver of the family. You know, in Reiko's case, it was, uh, being a reporter. Um, in the case of, uh, Shizuko, it was, uh, being a psychic, which is just being an other as opposed to being, you know, a parent. And also, I, I suppose you could speak to the, uh, uh, you know, parental responsibility of having sex with a water demon in the first place. Yeah, I don't know if that's responsible. Probably not. Um, but, you know, you love who you love, Duncan. And that's really the theme of this. But, uh, so... I, 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 no, I, I think that the real theme is something that you said earlier on. She's an other instead of a mother. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's the catchphrase for the movie. So, I want to uh, very briefly tell you a little story, Duncan. Uh, what was your turn? Your time, right? Take the couch. I'll come off the couch. There you go. Yep. Here we go. So, this speaks to the idea of eruption in this story, mm-hmm. and uh, in particular, the origin of Mount Fuji. Oh. Okay. So the story of Mount Fuji in in Japanese mythology is that uh, there was a guy named Bisu, and Bisu was a uh, a farmer, and one day, or he was a woodcutter. I'm sorry. So he hears something loud happen outside his house. He goes outside to see it, and where there was nothing the day before now stands Mount Fuji. So. Uh, Bisu names it Fujiyama, or Never Dying Mountain. And a priest comes to visit Bisu and says, Hey, you haven't been praying much, and as a result, if you don't pray, some shitty things are going to happen to you. And leaves him by saying, Bisu, you need to work and pray. That's your job. Work and pray. So Bisu does half that. He spends all his time praying, neglecting Mm -hmm. his wife and children. 
As a consequence, his crops wither and die. His wife and children uh, become thin and emaciated. And when his wife confronts him about like, hey, how about you get up and do some uh, woodcutting around here so we can make some money and take care of us? He leaves the house and goes to the top of Mount Fuji, where he discovers three women playing a game of Go. So... Visu watches the game unnoticed until one of the women makes a mistake, at which point he points it out, and the women turn into foxes, like they do, and they run away. Mm -hmm. So he stands up, makes his way back home, but when he gets home, he realizes that his home is no longer there, and he's been gone for 300 years. So when uh, Visu finds an old lady and is like, hey, what happened to uh, the house here? And she says, it was buried. And if what you say is true, your children's children are too. The gods have prolonged your miserable life in punishment for having neglected your wife and little children. And he spends the rest of his days repenting. And it is said, Duncan, that you can see his white spirit on the top of Mount Fuji when the moon is bright. Now, I don't just tell you that story because it's kind of a rad story about a mountain showing up out of nowhere. Totally right. I was like, you, you could not see me uh, while you were speaking, but I I was leaning into my microphone and I am holding a, a hot beverage and a cup just now and in and a, and a darkened room, I wanted to put a blanket over the top of me, like what's his face from the never ending story and just be, be put. That was a bitch. I do not, I, I know some Japanese folklore. I was not familiar with the origins of Mount Fuji, so that was pretty fascinating. And surprisingly relevant to the story of The Ring. Mm. Because what this film is ultimately about, I would argue, and and have, you know, some criticism to back me up here, is that, uh, including Colette Belmain, by the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, there's an interview with Colette uh, Belmain uh, about this very thing. She wrote a, a book called Introduction to Japanese Horror Film that a lot of the material I get is, is pulled from. So uh, we were lucky enough to have her on the show. That's a digression. Sorry about that. So, um, but uh, the movie is ultimately this idea of the neglectful parent, whether it's Reiko with uh, Yoichi or uh, Shuziko with Sadako. It is just this cycle of, hey, you're not paying attention to your kids. And as a result, your life is screwed up. Yeah. And there is also coupled with that. The idea of technology, again, another theme that you see through a lot of, uh, of Asian horror cinema and Japanese in particular is the idea of, of the technological interrupting cultural traditions in a detrimental way. Which is more relevant now than ever since the, the innovation of the smartphone. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, like one missed call and phone and all that stuff is is very much about, you know, that pervasiveness of, of the cell phone in, in modern life and that kind of thing. And and Ringu does it in its own way. It's not it's not quite as pervasive, although by the end of it, you certainly like, you know, that is definitely Nakata, I think, saying, oh, this is just going to get worse. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it is, you know, it, it is a theme that, that we have, uh, touched on a number of times here. And Ringu is such a great embodiment of the fear of the technological, the feel of the modern role of women in Japanese society, what that's going to do to the family. How does this start to break apart the traditions that we find important? Are we all doomed ultimately? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
I, I like the. I, I also like the fact that um, it, it speaks on some level. This is something I take away from the movie is it like it speaks to on some level the way that you know stories are now passed on as well. Um, so in the case of this one, this in the past it would have been you know tribes sitting around campfires telling ghost stories or you know you know evil curses that like played people. And in this one, the the technological equivalent of it. Um, is what a lot of us did in the early 90s, uh, which was copy videotapes and pass them on to your friends. <laughs> really, that was, you know what I mean? There's this idea of passing, like, the, the, the things that... I mean, I don't even want to know how many, and I think the I think I can't get arrested for this now. I think um, the Statue of Limitations of, of admitting openly on air that I pirated many, many, many videos, many VHS videos to pass on to my friends so they could watch them as well as this idea of passing things through technology as well, I think is is something which is fascinating. But you're you're right. Fundamentally, when watching this movie, it's it it speaks. I mean, it was already and in Japan particularly because Japan are a good few years ahead of us when it comes to to, to quite a lot of uh, of the technologies that they're they're uh, the the youngins uh, use over there. But this idea of like you say, like where Scream brings the horror into, you know, almost like mobile phones. So, you know, the terror can be anywhere because just because someone's phoning you from a phone doesn't mean that they're in a house as well. Um, you know, this this moves into this kind of new realm. It's the, this idea of updating the, if you read from the cursed book, you will become cursed. Or if you were to open the sarcophagus or remove the parts from the mummy's tomb, you will become cursed. This simplifies it right down. If you watch the videotape, you will become cursed. Um, which I also find, like, hugely fascinating. And like I say, at the time, uh, this is what kind of dates the movie, unfortunately. At the time... Uh, I watched this movie on VHS because that's how it was mostly distributed, um, which in itself, genius. Uh, uh, very, very, very clever. Very, very clever movie. Yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, the idea of the end of this film, like the Hollywood version, another another distinction between the remake and the original, in um, Ringu, the movie ends with, you know, this high, long shot of the car driving away after this phone call with the father. And and you have to kind of do the math on, oh, okay, well, clearly she's going to copy the tape or get uh, uh, her son to copy the tape and then show it to her father, which, yeah. again, is incredibly transgressive in a Japanese context of mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to curse my father to save my child. Um, you know, it, it, it there is a, an element of the taboo in all of this, uh, from a cultural yeah, the, point of view. Their, 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 their culture is heavily based on respecting your elders. I mean, I, I, when I was in Japan in 2008, I want to say 2007, 2008, um, I have never seen, uh, you know, consistently, uh, a, a race of people who will stand up and let the oldest person in the room sit down and have their seat on a train. Like, consistently, I never saw an elderly person walk onto a train and not have a young person stand up and give them their seat straight away. Um, and that's just the, the, the culture over there is very... I mean, you, the, your grandparents live with their children. Um, is is very much based on that sort of idea of family and the, the, hierarch the hierarchical structure of family and the importance being on the top as opposed to the bottom, um, almost in a reversal to how we do things over here. Um, 
So that the fact that that's the last scene that you have, um, like you say, is it's, it's highly transgressive against the culture, which I think is 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 genius. I, I also think like where the the less is more approach of the Japanese one versus the American one as well as like in the American one we get the we get more story to Samara as a character. We get video footage of Samara being uh, um, psychoanalyzed at an institute, and what they feel the need to do is play play it off in that movie that she is an innocent and bad things have happened to her. And then when the reveal comes out that, you know, they haven't saved the day, they play the same scenes again of her speaking, but now take it from a slightly, look at her words again, they're now sinister. Look, you know, when she said she'll never stop, she means herself, she doesn't mean her mother. Um, And all the rest, you do not need that in the Japanese one at all. And it's easy enough to follow. That's that's what I think. I think the American one is not dumbing down, but tries to insert story, which then needs then needs more justification for that story. The twist ending in America has to be explained fully. The twist ending in Japan doesn't need to be explained fully. It just happens. Yeah, I mean, from the reveal that uh, Sadako is not done to the end of the movie is, you know, eight, ten minutes, if that. I mean, it's it's like that twist happens and then you're done. And in the American version, you know, we, we get the twist and the explanation and then you have you have to show the scene of Naomi Watts showing her kid how to record the video, you know, and yeah. that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you just you don't need that. And and also the American version is 20 minutes longer yeah. um, uh, for all that. And I, I I like the ring quite a lot. I think it's a, a great adaptation of this film, but it, it just it loses the leanness, the uh, the efficiency of Ringu and and that's the the thing about this movie like i said 95 minutes and everything like this show is is as long as the movie mm. and it's and like it it just trucks along it it fits in so much story it doesn't take the audience for granted but it also doesn't feel the need to spoon feed anything and it it it's such a, a, a an efficient tidy nasty movie you know yeah. because the end of this movie is it is incredibly dour you know i mean yeah uh reiko and yoichi are probably going to be okay but as you know if you've seen ring two you know that her dad's not long for this world and <laughs> um spoilers but uh it, it happens quick um and yeah, I mean, it is just the perpetuation of this curse, which, again, I think goes back to the idea of Nakata saying um, this this penetration of the technological into our lives and the dissociation that goes along with it from, you know, traditional families and, and all that stuff. Like, all of, all of that's only going to continue to grow and grow and grow. Like, they, yeah. you can't stop it. You can only kind of secure your family from it to an extent, and and that's it. And it, it's a really glum, I think, view of of life of you know of the technology's role in life, and also the state of the modern family in in 1998 Japan. Yeah. Um, it, it 
and and it's themes that you still see pop up in those films so it's it's clearly something that hasn't gone away it's just that this is one of uh the first movies in my knowledge that shines a light so brightly on the idea um and like i said you know ne- the next year you get audition and and that is much more female centric but also very much about upsetting the apple cart um and and one of my favorite things uh to remind myself of in watching these movies is like in the west there is a um a high degree of value placed on individuality and and the self uh that is not the case in japan uh j- the japanese culture is is far more concerned with fitting in um in fact being the other uh is really really bad uh i think the there is a Japanese idiom, and I, I can't think of the exact phrasing of it, but it's something like it's it, it's the the long nail that gets the hammer, mm-hmm. something like that. But it, the the idea being, hey, if you're the person sticking out, society's going to come along and put you in place. And a lot of these movies, and, and Ringu, I think, is is one of the big progenitors of this, uh, are films about like, oh no, you know, like there are just too many long nails now. Like how 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 do you make society work when the things that we held as traditional and valuable and, and immutable things that would never go away are now being ripped up ripped asunder, Duncan? Yeah. Um. So. Ah, uh, sorry. I I man, it's just so fascinating. I love the. I, when when a movie like this can not only scare you but also is. Uh, has almost that you know pulse uh level of of social commentary. Yeah. Oh, makes me so happy, Duncan. I can, I can't be done. I think that's I think that's the thing. I think they are more few and far between, um, certainly in Western cinema. But the, the, the there was a time period there in Japan, and I I, I dare say I, it's probably still happening. But my my lack of knowledge of what's coming out on a yearly basis from from that particular country and that particular continent. Um and saying that, this this year um I've already seen two movies from Korea, which uh, South Korea, which have blown my mind in terms of of just how relevant and prevalent the, the you know the, the Asian horror cinema still still is and still continues to be. But um which one? Are, one? Uh, Wailing? Yeah, it's and, really, really good. Uh, are, are we talking Train to Busan or are we talking Handmaiden? Uh, Train to Busan, I've still okay. seen Handmaiden. Okay. Um, but I'm hearing great things. I'm it's... hearing that I should clear some space at the top of my list. Yeah, I I caught it uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And is it really, really, really good? It is. I mean, uh, Park Chan-wook is... Park Chan Wook. It, it like, He's yeah, I mean it. I would say it's as good as Stoker. Really? Yeah, and and I found it particularly fascinating because it deals very explicitly with the idea of cultural dissonance between Korea and Japan. I, I mean, you know how I know how, anyone out there should know exactly how much we love Stoker. I think yeah. Stoker's phenomenal. So um, yeah, it's very good. Very Ooh, good. I can't wait to see. Uh, yeah. uh, Train, Train to Busan, though, is you know just 
it's a breath of fresh air and, yeah. and a, a it's, very stale genre. It's real fun too, and yeah, that, that, definitely. That. So, so is the whaling though. The whalings are a, a very they they seem to just be doing things very right at the moment. Yeah, so. yeah. No, uh, South Korea is having a real strong year, so get it together, yeah. Japan. <laughs> but this is what I mean, like Japan for a while there for a good, and it, I, I, we jump around a lot with these things. There are the time where you know Italian cinema becomes you know the cultural hub, uh, Spanish cinema for a while there was a cultural hub, French, uh, new wave of extremity, the extreme cinema they were putting out for a period of five years becomes you know a cultural phenomenon. Uh, but Japan for a good while there, a good decade anyway were really taking very bold stances on on inward looking at society, their society and their culture, as well as looking outwards as well. Um and, and incorporating them into their, their their horror stories in a way which is just, you know, it they can be done. You know, a lot of people get scared off by them. You know, we don't want to put too much subtext into this movie, because uh, people might not get it. And you don't have to put too much. You just have to put what you have in it well. You just have to write it well. Um, and yeah. The Ring is a, is a great example. Audition is a phenomenal example as well. Um, yeah, well, yeah. It's it's having the focus to understand for yourself what it is you're trying to communicate, and then being the artist that you know Miike and Nakata are to to weave it in in a way that's not so boxy. Yeah. Um, oh, so good. Uh, uh, final thoughts from uh, from you on on Ringu Duck and anything uh, you want to uh, add for the record before we put a seal on the third the third leg of uh, Japanese horror in the early two thousands. Um, yeah, like like I said at the start, I, I'm I couldn't be happier to come back to kick off your season two. Which tell me, I can tell you right, and I can tell you more than your listeners. There is no one more excited to see where season two goes than I am. I really can't wait to see the. I have already seen a rough list of some of the titles that are, that will be coming up this season, and uh, my, my palms got kind of sweaty, and I, I, my mouth filled with saliva in anticipation of this delightful, um, authentic Asian feast that is coming. Um, but the opportunity to come back and watch, you know, Ringu easily 10 years after seeing it the last time and the realisation that that movie holds up um, was almost as fun as this recording. Almost as fun. Um, I finished that movie and that way where you just don't want to watch things to see how bad they've dated and realise that, you know, some movies are timeless and Ringu is timeless. Yeah, I mean, despite the age of the technology it, it involving a VHS tape and so yeah. forth. I, I think that the film works well enough. Like it, it exists in its own time. So, yeah. it, and it's God, it's just marvelous. If really, if you've never seen, if you've seen the ring and I, I, I said this up front, if you've seen the ring and never seen, seen Ringo because, uh, Ringu, not Ringo, Ringo star. Um, uh, <laughs> hello. Yeah. Right. S- sneaking Sadako down the alley. Um, oh, 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 this is a river start. This is a river start, bro. Go back, <laughs> back from the best Highlander two. All right, all right. Yeah, that's the breaks. Um, yeah, treat yourself. Watch Ringu. It is a phenomenally well done uh, film, and if, if only to complete your cinematic knowledge uh, as a horror fan, it's worthwhile. But man, it yeah, like like I said, it's one I can I can go back to. Yeah, every you know, every couple of years is about 
right for a Ringu viewing and just marvel at like, oh, that, you know, the, the shot down the hall where you're, you're looking from the darkened hallway as Yoichi looks into the camera and, uh, the, the slowed down bells that play when you see each day tick by. It's so beautifully done. Um, all right, but enough of that nonsense. That's Ringu. The first of 10 new films we'll be looking at this season on Hero Hero Go Show. Uh, and to give you a taste of what Duncan was alluding to earlier, yes, there's going to be a drill penis. Yes, that's <laughs> happening this season. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. I, the, the letters have been overwhelming. You, you have been heard. Uh, <laughs> it's not one for a season in a bit. Oh, my goodness. All right. Oh, that movie. All right, it's 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 coming soon. It's coming soon, and and you the the number of times in the course of that show where I'll just say like son of a bitch this movie it, it's it happens a lot, um, but seriously if you're enjoying the show listeners, how about you hop over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Uh, it helps increase the visibility on the store page there, but no amount of clicking stars can replace you, dear listener. If you like what you hear and you know someone who's interested in Asian horror or just horror in general, just point them our way. Lastly, this show is about a million times better with your input. So if you'd like to suggest a movie or just talk to like-minded folk who also enjoy the Asian horror, head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hero hero ghost show and join in the conversations there. Uh, and if you're shy, just drop me a line at hero hero at legionpodcasts.com legionpodcasts.com where all good things happen. Uh, one last thank you to the effervescent Duncan McLeish who has proven once again that he is most definitely not a robot. Uh, <laughs> And be sure to check him out on uh, uh The podcast Under the Stairs is uh, on Facebook as well, as is Opera Omnia and uh, Chronicle, and that last season Chronicle. Not to just turn this into a mutual appreciation society, but goodness, goodness, all the witchery uh, in Chronicle. Um, and man, that the episode on the devils in particular, I think, is... Uh, I haven't even told you this. I, the, that episode on the Devils I thought was fantastic. Um, oh, thank you. So we will be back next week with a new movie, a new guest, and the same old Go Show you have come to expect. And now, as much Sakai no Awadi as I can legally play for you. Good night.
business is the thing that I hate Cause it doesn't do any good for anyone And everyone thinks everything is okay If they just obey I don't wanna think about what they see When they look up and see evil me You see love isn't what I need As long as I can set you free Oh bomb bomb bomb, watch out here I come I said bomb bomb bomb, you all better run Oh bomb bomb bomb, watch out here I come So run But when push comes to shove, you'll know what I mean I'm ready to start a fight I'm gonna be the anti-hero Feeling hate to fight everybody I'm gonna be the anti-hero So I guess every when the time comes I'm gonna be the anti-hero Everyone the time comes.